Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, we have been in this Foodies series for a few weeks, and actually we're on week six this week. Took a little break last week with our missionary, which was awesome. Uh, but uh, because we skipped a week, I want to give you just a little quick review of last week. And, and really what we're talking about, um, you need to turn me down just a little bit, getting a little feedback. I, I want to talk a lot louder than I am. So uh, thanks. Appreciate, how many appreciate our sound men? Good guy, right? Good guys. I don't think we have any sound girls yet, but we're not opposed to it. So uh, awesome to have these people working the tech stuff. But what we're talking about this week is really a continuation of uh, two weeks ago because Jesus was at the same dinner scene. He just had more to tell that I couldn't even get to that week. So we're going to get into that a little bit. But just in way of review, Jesus was, if you remember, was eating at a prominent Pharisee's house. He had been invited to be there. They invited him. The Pharisees invited him. But remember, the scripture says that he was being carefully watched. They were watching him. And when Jesus arrives, it seems that the Pharisees were trying to set a trap for him. They they had a man with dropsy kind of there planted. It was like he was a plant. We would call that a, a person with dropsy. We would say he had edema today. And they seemingly had brought him to uh to uh uh the Pharisees' home to see if Jesus was gonna heal on the Sabbath or not, because that wouldn't have been lawful. It would have been unlawful. It would have been wrong against their religious rules. So these religious leaders, they, they, had, they had really taken that Sabbath and they had turned it into a burden with all of their rules regarding it in, instead of its intended blessing. And we know that Jesus passed the test. He answered their questions by asking some questions. And they couldn't answer those questions. And then he healed the man anyway. So I, I just love how Jesus handles these situations. He's always ready, right? He's always anointed. He always, has an, he always has the word ready to go. And, uh, and, and can I offer this? It wasn't just because he was Jesus. He was just prepared. He was ready all the time. I don't think any of us in here can say, well, I, I'm not ever that ready because I'm not Jesus and he was. No, he operated under his, the same power that you and I can operate under. Amen. We can live there in that same power. There's just a challenge in that even that we need to be ready in season and out of season with a word for anybody who might need it. How many are always ready with that? Nobody raised their hand. That's something to work on, isn't it? To always, always, always be ready. So Jesus told them a parable, and we went over this two weeks ago. He saw how they were all trying to get the most honorable seat. So he he tells them this parable, and really it was a lesson in manners. And the parable basically, if you remember, says, when you're invited to a banquet, don't fight over the best seats. Fight for the cheap seats, meaning the least honorable ones. That way you'll be moved up to the best seats when the host sees you. Instead of being embarrassed by being asked to take lesser seats of honor, when a guest more important than yourself arrives. That was the gist of it. And then Luke 14, it ended uh, with verse 11. Two weeks ago, we ended with this verse. Jesus says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we really talked about pride and humility two weeks ago, and that's, that's where we left off. But, but again, Jesus wasn't finished teaching these foodies. He had so much more for them. I mean, he was invited to the Pharisee's house, and 
man, he's got a whole banquet planned for him, that, that spiritual banquet of food that they didn't even really realize. Uh, he continues um, in four, Luke 14, 12 through 14. I'm going to read two verses here. Then Jesus said to his host, this is right after he says this about exalting themselves uh, will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He says, then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And I, I, I want you to get what's happening here. He just got done telling them, man, if you're going to keep exalting yourself, there's a coming a day when you're going to be humbled. How many know that this is true? If you refuse to humble yourself, God will humble you for you. I would much rather humble myself, wouldn't you? I mean, how many are with me? Come on. I would much rather have it be that way than have him have to humble me for me because he loves me so much he doesn't want me to stay in my pride. And that's what's going on here. He just got done saying that, and then he gives us a little lesson. And um, remember, he, it's kind of like he held up a mirror for them to see themselves and their pride and their arrogance, and they completely missed it again. He said, don't throw a banquet, invite your friends, family, and everyone else. Who can invite you back? Invite, you know, the crippled, the lame. We just read it. The undesirables, those that could never repay you with a reciprocation of an invite to their own home. I mean, is it really generosity to give only to those you can, that, who can give back to you because of their own financially financial ability to do so? Is it really generosity to only give to those whom you know will give back to you because they have to save face? And as I said, they, they missed it, uh, these Pharisees. And, and we know they missed it, and they missed this section too, because look what he said. In Luke 14, 15, the very next verse, Jesus just says, don't invite you know, you know, those who can pay, repay you back. Invite those who can't, the sick, the lame, all those. And this is what a man who is reclining at the table with him, when he heard this, he said to, he said to Jesus, this is Luke 14, 15, blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. He like totally dismissed what Jesus just said and said, well, blessed be everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Notice how he said it, when he said it. Do you ever just stop and reread Scripture over and over and over and try to understand what's going on? I hope you do, because there's a lot of truth when you do that. Notice how this guy who said this, and let's face it, this was the whole room of guests responding to Jesus, what Jesus just said. This was their collective attitude, right? You can kind of see that. They totally ignored him, and it sounds like this guy is making a toast on behalf of everyone in the room. Like, maybe to cover up an awkward moment. I mean, Jesus just says, you're all full of pride. You all invite the guests you, you know can repay you back. Invite these people. And he's like, oh, well, blessed be, blessed be everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Holds up the glass, maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe taking it a little far. Maybe he wanted to avoid embarrassment for the friend, his friend, the host. He was just trying to cover it up. I don't know. 
But the fact of the matter is, since Jesus walked into this room, into this Pharisee's house, he's been calling out pride in all of them over and over again. It's, it's like the guy saying, so let's toast the fact that as religious, pompous Pharisees, we will no doubt be at the feast that God has in his kingdom for us. Talk of the feast in, uh, in the kingdom of heaven was, was very common language amongst the Jews. In Mark chapter 10, you see where James and John, uh, they asked Jesus if they could please be seated on his left and on his right in heaven. And, and it's like the idea was just sown into their very culture. But think about it. They read from the book of Isaiah all the time in temple. And I want to read something to you, Isaiah 25, 6. This is Old Testament. This is, this is what they heard. Um, and it sounds very similar to what we say, and we, we take some of the same kind of scripture from the book of Revelation. But it says this, Now the Lord of armies will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces of, with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will destroy the covering which is over all peoples, the veil which is stretched over the nations. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will Remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken, and it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God, for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord, for whom we have waited. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. I mean, this is talking about the kingdom, the feast, the victory, everything they ever wanted. And these are, these are a people who are hearing this, the Jews, the Israelites, the, the Jewish people in this time, who... We're under Roman oppression. So they're thinking about this even politically through their own, their own filters of what's going on in their life. Well, blessed be, as, as they're hearing something like that, blessed be everyone who eats bread. Let's just ignore what's going on. Let's cheer or, or, ho or what do you say, uh, toast to the, uh, to the fact that we're all going to be there. And it's, it's not hard to imagine Jesus looking at these guys and thinking in his mind, are you kidding me? I just got done telling you how prideful you are, and so you toast yourselves and the fact that you'll be in the, the kingdom of God eating his feast. Wow. Blessed is the one who eats bread at the feast in the kingdom of God. Hear, hear. Jolly good show, old boy. I mean, that's kind of what's going on. Let's just ignore what Jesus said, because obviously that doesn't apply to us. We're religious. We know the truth. We are the purveyors of truth. There's a real arrogance here. I hope you don't miss it. And so without any specific comment about what was just said, I think Jesus was probably rolling his eyes. I don't, I don't know doesn't say that, but Jesus goes into a mic-dropping parable. I think it's, it's kind of like if you read this whole thing, you're like, wow, he was, he was just, he'd had it, right? He was done. He was like, okay, I'm going to lay one on you, and I'm going to lay it on thick and see if you can get it through your heads now, is what he was saying. And, and you guys know that a parable is simply, it's a simple story that teaches a deeper lesson. Jesus talked in parables all the time. So let's stand and let's read the word of God together that we're going to go over today. Luke 14, I know it's kind of a long intro, but just to catch you up to where we're at, 
Luke 14, 16 through 24. Let's read it together. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought the five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. When the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. God, as you open it to us this morning, I pray it would sink down deep, it would be planted, and it would change us forever in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. And thanks for standing up and reading that. So we're going to get into some foodie facts about this. First of all, double invitations, um, and we're going to talk about double invitations and awesome banquets because that's what's going on here. That's what the story is about. But, but double invitations were a common practice back then. It was, typical, it was a typical practice for a host to invite his guests to a banquet. And then after all the preparations had been made and the time of the banquet had come, the host would send his servant to go to all those who had been invited and let them know that everything was ready. The time had come for them to join him. And, and you have to think about banquets back then differently than you think about now. I mean, we gotta, it, it's hard not to, to see things through our own American life in 2023 filter, right? It, it's kind of hard to do that. We live in a very high-paced, very scheduled culture. It's not like clocks were everywhere back then, right? It's not like they had wristwatches. It's not like they had cell phones to give them reminders of things. They were pretty low-key, you know, pretty easy going. They did what they needed to do. A lot of their time was spent uh, preparing meals and, and just even working to get food. I mean, that was the most important thing. I mean, have you ever thought about it? How many work really hard? Like 10 of you. Some ten, only 10 of you work hard? The rest of you are lazy or what? How many are lazy couch potatoes? Okay. Yeah, that's a lie. <laughs> There's a few of you, okay. Thanks for being honest in church, but you, you might want to change that, right? We're busy people. We're flying around all the time. We're like, whoa, what just happened? How many, how many have ever thought, boy, the older I get, the quicker things go? I'm realizing that the older I get. It's like, whoa, put on the brakes. Do you remember those dog days of summer when you rode your bike around and that hot summer day just would last an eternity? What happened to those days? Because like I turned my head and the day's over. You know, I blink my eyes and it's, it's done. It seems so quick. We live in a very high-paced, probably very imbalanced, and I'll just say it is imbalanced, um, culture because we're so driven for stuff and success and 
money and things and all that. But that's not how it was back in the time of Jesus. These banquets were really big deals. They were social. A banquet like this would have been a social event of the year. It had been a very, very big thing, a big event. You would have wanted to be invited to this thing. And you would get an invite, and maybe it was a week out, and it would tell you the day, and the, it wouldn't really give you a specific time. It'd just say, this banquet's going to happen, you're invited. And then the second, or the double invitation, would come when, um, when, when he sent his servant out, when the preparations had been made, and the servant would run out there, and he'd tell everybody uh, that, uh, is that better? A little better for you? It's still kind of ringing a little bit. Sorry about that. Um, but anyway, uh, they're, they're, they would send that servant out, and he'd go out, and, and he, would, he would tell them, everything's ready, come on into the banquet. That was the second invitation. So he had the first invitation, say, hey, there's a banquet coming, be ready for it. Might, might have given a day or at least a general idea of what it was going to be, but then when the time had come, when the preparations had been made, and they're like, we think of that, and we're like, what do you mean preparations? Don't you just set the date and do it? In their society, they, I mean, they had to, in their culture, they had to kill the animals, prepare them, get all, everything in order, get all the, it, it was a lot to it. And so the second invitation would come, hey, it's ready, come on. And that's what was going on here. That was a practice that was pretty common back then. In parts of the world, that's still common, by the way. And understand, um, Jesus, while giving them the story of a guy throwing a banquet, is prophetically speaking about the nation of Israel at the same time. Don't miss this. In the parable, the first invitation is received but not really adhered to. And then the second invitation is rejected with excuses. The nation of Israel was the first to be given an invitation to God's plan of salvation through a Savior, right? They were invited. And you could say that their second invitation was given to them when Jesus was born. They were supposed to be prepared but ended up rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. You could also say that Jesus being born and dying on the cross was their first invitation to get ready. And as we get closer to the return of Jesus, that they will be given another invitation. We know there'll be many Jews that are saved in the end times. And I, I, I will let the eschatology gurus figure that one out. Like, which one is it? But I, I think both can be true at the same time. It is also true that in, a, in, in the parable, the wealthy man giving the banquet was going to make sure that all the seats were full. That was his thing. He, he wanted to make sure those seats were, were full, were taken. He instructed his servants to go out and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And when that didn't fill the seats, he instructed them to go out past the city gates to those along the roads and country lanes, the highways and the byways, and compel them to come in. And prophetically, these are the Gentiles in the parable. You have to understand that for a wealthy man to invite poor people, to invite crippled people, blind and lame people, that would have been really preposterous. So as Jesus is telling the story, the Pharisees are going, what? He, he did what? First of all, it's weird that, that, that people made excuses who were invited because that would never happen. Then he's like, well, we're going to fill these seats, so go get the crippled. All the ones nobody wants, go get them. They were the undesirables within the community. And they were mostly unclean according to Jewish law. Why would a prominent person ever do something like that? And, and again, the Pharisees probably thought the story was laughable. Not only were the servants in the parable supposed to get the undesirables, 
but they were also to go out and get the deplorables. And I say that because those that weren't even in, living inside the city because they were unwanted, the highways and the byways, at least the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, they were in the city. They were at least accepted inside the city. But when you go outside the city gate and you start going to the highways and byways and to the, the, the roads and country lanes, as, as this version puts it, you're dealing with people who aren't even accepted into, into the city. They're not accepted in society. They're, they are the deplorables. Nobody wants those people. And, and the guy in the parable that Jesus is telling, he's the master, the host, he says, go out and get those. We gotta have full seats here. We gotta have this banquet full. And they had to compel them to come. Compel them to come. And I thought about that. Why would they have to compel them? That's really interesting. I mean, these are poor people. They're getting invited to an awesome banquet. Why would you have to convince them to come? I, I just want to throw this out there because they would feel unworthy to be there. They would feel like, we're not worthy to be guests at your banquet. We, we, can't, we can't do that. Not, we can't be around those people that you are that you invited. We can't mix with them. They're too good for us. The Pharisees probably thought that this was laughable as well. I mean, like, why in the world would you have to compel them? Wouldn't they want to be with us? I mean, they get to rub shoulders with us and you have to convince them to do so? I don't know if you're drawing any lines here, but there's plenty of people outside the church's four walls that feel like they can't rub shoulders with some of the likes of you because you're too good, because you do everything right. I'm not worthy to do what you, to be with you because, and how many know that's a lie from the pit of hell, right? We just can't have that attitude as those within the church. Not only were the servants in the parable supposed to get the undesirables, they were to go and get the deplorables, those that weren't even living inside the city because they were so unwanted. You can almost read the Pharisees' thoughts in this story, and I know I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, but again, why would they have to compel them? Why would they want to miss a lavish banquet? Why wouldn't they want to be around people like us? They didn't say that, but it's not hard to imagine that they thought it. And the sort of banquet Jesus is talking about in the story, it's no small social event. There's a double invitation, we know that. This was a social event that was pretty significant. This man was obviously wealthy. He had the means to throw a great banquet, it says, and he, had, and he invited many guests. That's not cheap. How many have had company over lately for, for uh, supper or for lunch, and it's gotten more expensive as of recent? No? How many know food ain't cheap no more? <laughs> Never really has been. So th this guy was obviously wealthy, and he had servants. I mean, he must have had some wealth. Th this kind of banquet would have been, again, the social gathering of the year, and, and it was an honor and a privilege to be invited. It was an ex a big honor and privilege. This was not a party that anyone would have missed. If you were invited, you were in, baby. You were, it said something about your status in the community and who you were. You wouldn't be like, eh, I got something else to do right now. Nah, I mean, we do that all the time in our culture. They didn't have all the things that we have today, right? 
They didn't have banquets. Or they, they didn't, I don't think they had um, restaurants on every, in every town like we do, right? How many know if you're hungry, just about in any small town in Iowa, you can at least go to Casey's and get a pork tenderloin sandwich, right? You can at least do that. There's food everywhere. We can just go get it. It's no big deal. This was a big deal. You know, they didn't have to like, well, no, I have soccer practice. For all of you, those of you listening online and you're at a soccer game right now, I'm not sorry. Okay, so just one set. Um, they didn't have all these things, though, that, that took their time and, 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 and kind of made them so busy. So this was a big event. You would not have missed it. Anybody invited would have been there. That's why the Pharisees thought it was laughable that this whole story didn't even make sense. In fact, in, in some instances, and this is, this is important, saying no to a banquet like this was the equivalent to declaring war with your neighbor. To not accept the invitation was to say that you did not want to be friends or even acquainted with the person that invited you. Almost as if to say, no, I'm not going to go to your banquet. I'm just too good for you. That's how it would have been received. So you didn't want to fall into that category, right, back then. So this was a banquet you wouldn't want to have missed. You wouldn't wanted to have missed it. So we got some foodie, foodie facts there about banquets, about double invitations. Here's some foodie facts about lame excuses, and we're going to get into the excuses. The invited guests gave reasons why they couldn't attend the banquet, didn't they? The invited guests. And if you look closely at these reasons, they're really just excuses. Excuses are reasons that are given in order to remove any personal responsibility for one's actions. There's a difference between reasons and excuses. How many know that generally speaking, excuses have negative connotation to it? Oh, that guy's full of excuses. And notice what the people say in the scripture, please excuse me. It's an excuse. There's an excuse here, and they list reasons that remove personal responsibility. It's exactly what they do. And I, I think this is interesting, um, this excuse versus reason, because I think we're all guilty of this sometimes. But, but let's say you're late for work, and the boss meets you at the door, and as you walk in and give a reason, it sounds like this, hey, sorry I'm late, I failed to set my alarm, and I didn't wake up on time. That's a reason. That's not an excuse. That's a reason, right? You're taking full responsibility. As opposed to an excuse, which is, hey, sorry I'm late. I failed to set my alarm. Or, I'm sorry. Hey, hi, I'm sorry I'm late. My schedule is so busy with work and with family and with everything, I don't even remember going to bed last night and I forgot to set my alarm. That's an excuse. It's not a lot different, but it's very different. Notice how the responsibility shifted in the excuse the reason answer took full responsibility. The excuse answer puts the responsibility of blame on the person's schedule, on their busyness with work. That might be on their boss. I'm so busy with work, I got tired, and then I, I didn't set my alarm, and then, and then I'm late for work because of you, boss. I mean, that's kind of what he's saying, right? Or, or I'm busy with my family. My, my family, I love them, but man, they make me busy, and I, I'm sorry. I, uh, and everything else that makes them busy. The blame is put on everyone and everything else possible except on the person making the excuse. That's the difference. Isn't it funny how our reasons can so quickly become excuses? And we live in a world where negative actions are quickly justified with responsibility-shifting excuses that place the responsibility any and everywhere else 
besides the person making the excuse. You see it all over. And I'm not saying that our negative behaviors are not influenced by others. They certainly can be, and even situations we find ourselves in. But if you want to overcome the rut of living in those negative behaviors, this is just a little side helping for you, okay? If you want to overcome the rut of living in those negative behaviors, then you must at some point acknowledge that your behavior is your choice. Are you hearing me? You know the old phrase, the devil made me do it. I mean, a, a husband could say all day long that his wife's baking is causing him to be overweight. And that could be a contributing factor, but her baking is not the reason he's overweight. He's overweight because he continues to choose to eat those delicious baked goods. You know what I'm saying? You can apply that in so many areas of your life. And again, I'm not denying that there are people who do you wrong in situations that are impossible, but let's acknowledge that for sure. And then avoid making excuses that shift responsibility for our own behaviors. I don't think the devil can make you do anything. You have choice. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have choice. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I have choice. Yeah. You have free will to make choices. And that's important to understand. So these lame excuses, these are, these are, are real excuses. Responsibility shifting excuses, not, not just reasons. And the, uh, the invited guests in this parable, they had all sorts of them. So, so where's the beef in all this? Let's get into this. We've all been invited. I, I want you to know every single last one of you in this room has been invited. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said or what you've thought about doing, God has extended his invitation to you. And even as I'm speaking today, God is extending his invitation to you. Everybody's invited. The Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I believe this to be a real event in heaven that takes place. Those that have received his invitation and prepared themselves will be ready when the trumpet call of God sounds and Jesus comes back for his bride, the church. And folks, we're getting closer. If some of you haven't noticed, we're getting awfully close. Or wonderfully close, depending on how you look at it, I guess. The dead in Christ will rise and those who are left will be caught up together in the clouds for a reunion like no other. In that moment, this mortal will take on immortality. This corruptible will take on incorruptibility and we will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye and will be given perfect bodies that will never age, that will never get sick, that will never die. They will be glorious bodies and we will be with the Lord forever and we will feast in his kingdom. Amen. There's a banquet that's gonna be held. It's calorie-free. I mean, I can get excited about that. There's a banquet that's going to be held. You're invited to that banquet. Every last one of us is. And you know who's going to be there on that day? The Jews that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The Arabs that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior the Palestinian people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and members of every other race, tribe, and color that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Even those right here in America, I mean, even us. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll get to be there. But you know who's not going to be there? 
every individual who has ever lived on this planet who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They'll not be there on that day. I, I, I talk about the practice of, talked about the practice of double invitations. How, how many times do we have to be invited anyway? I, I say that because how many times has Jesus reached out his hand of invitation and pulled us from the gutter of our own sin and failure. Time and time again. We've been invited more than once. We've all been invited. So number two, let's stop with the excuses. Every invited guest in this parable made excuses for why they couldn't make it. The truth is, they never prepared to make it in the first place. These were not merely unavoidable reasons. They were ridiculous excuses. And they really just centered on one of two different areas in life, our possessions and our relationships, the things that dominate everything we do. I just can't make the banquet. I'm too busy because I have to try out the five oxen I just bought. I mean, think about the banquet we're invited to and the excuses we make as we see these excuses. It was a wealthy man, first of all, who could afford uh, to buy five oxen. So the guy that was invited was wealthy. And wealthy men don't make investments like this without already knowing what they were buying. I mean, come on, right? Well, I got to go, go check out these oxen I just bought. I got to try them out and see if they're any good. He wouldn't have bought them. It's an excuse. Someone wealthy would never refuse an invitation like this either. This was a joke of an excuse. A person like that would not have refused an invitation. And even if they did, they would have a better excuse than needing to try out their new farm animals. That's just a lame excuse. The truth is this man was distracted by material things. He got the invitation, was distracted and did nothing with it, then was taken off guard by the second invitation, so the excuses just flowed. I can't make the banquet. I just bought a field. I need to go check that field out. Again, really, a businessman back then buys a field without looking at it first. It was laughable to the Pharisees. This story, just I'm sure as Jesus was saying it, they're like, what? Come on, this makes no sense. And to say no to the social event of, year, of the year so that you could go look at dirt, that's ridiculous. Right? Then you have the guy who says he can't make it because he married a wife. And some versions said, say, I took a wife. I can't make it, I took a wife. Okay, seems suspect, but this is an excuse that may have some validity. It's my new wife's fault, <laughs> is essentially what he's saying. It's like he's, he, he was saying, if, if I were single, I'd be there, but I have a wife now. And he's confessing to being, he's either, maybe he's confessing to being extremely henpecked, I don't know. But, but it's, it's, really, it's really absurd because, uh, let me just say this, how many know what it means to be henpecked? Guys, don't raise your hand. Um, <laughs> women, do you, know, do you know what it means to be someone who henpecks? Do you know that? Okay, none of you do that, I'm sure, right? Ever, ever. I believe you're all just these perfect, wonderful ladies that never do that. And there's no guys in here who ever do anything wrong either. Um, but back then, women wouldn't have been henpeckers, I don't think. They would not have henpecked their guys. They would have not done that. Women weren't even considered uh, 
They were more like property in many cases, unfortunately, and that's wrong. I think it's interesting that Jesus used this in his story because I think there's something to that too. Do you know that in the Pharisees' prayers, some of their daily prayers, they would, they would literally every day thank God that they were not a Gentile and that they were not a woman? That's how arrogant and prideful they were. And if this guy was really controlled by his wife enough to say, well, I have a wife now, I can't come. She's not going to let me go. And maybe that's not quite what he was saying, but maybe it was. And if it was, then he, I'm telling you, it's weird because he would have never admitted it. He would have, he would have at least had a better excuse to these guys. To, to say that, that, that he had just taken a wife, was, it was just completely ridiculous in that culture. I'm just saying. That's my point. Completely ridiculous. And the excuses that are being made right now all across this world, excuses that will render the final words of this parable as true for the lives of so many. I tell you, Jesus said, not one of those who were invited, and let's interject here, and made excuses, will get to taste of my banquet. Not one. You may, you may have every excuse in the world as to why you're waiting, why you're resisting, why you're pushing back on that personal relationship with Christ that he desperately wants to have with you. But the hardcore truth is your excuses won't cut it, no matter how good they are. In fact, you may even have reasons, good ones that aren't even excuses, and those good reasons aren't going to cut it either. My heart today is not to condemn anyone. I, I, I want you to know that. I never want to stand up here and condemn you. But sometimes that line gets fine because it, it's my job to make sure that nobody gets condemned in the end, right? I don't want to condemn anybody, but I don't want anybody to be condemned. And that gets kind of hard. I, I got to tell you, there's a place called hell. It's real. It's a place that was never meant for you. But it will be your, it will be your eternal home if you reject the invitation that God has continually given you. That will be your eternal home. To not accept his invitation is to reject him. His invitation is to give you an abundant life in him a spiritual prosperous life, a life with a hope and a future, a life that upon its conclusion will continue for all eternity in a place called heaven. That's what he wants for you. A place that is even now being prepared for those that love him. And, and to just really put it bluntly, this life is the only heaven you will ever know if you reject his invitation. But this life will be the closest did I say that right? This life is the only heaven you will ever know if you reject his invitation. But this life will be the closest thing to hell you will ever know if you accept the invitation, if you don't accept the invitation, or I'm sorry, if you accept the invitation he offers. My mind's sitting down on me. The Pharisees must have been thinking about the absurdity of the story and how nobody in their right mind would reject an invitation to a banquet like the man was throwing in the parable. I don't understand why people are even listening to this so-called teacher, this, this Jesus. I'm sure that's what they were thinking. And even as they were thinking these things, they were, in fact, simultaneously rejecting the very invitation that Jesus was giving them. There's so many, like, moments in this passage. Unless there was a change in these guys, 
they would be dinner no-shows when it comes time for the marriage supper of the Lamb. They will be invited, distracted, and unprepared, and then re-invited, but full of excuses. Does that pattern sound familiar at all to any of us? I think it's a pattern we've all kind of fell into from time to time. And I want you to understand something. When you get saved, you're saved. I don't believe every time you mess up, you have to be resaved. I believe God's grace is so amazing that it can hold you even when you mess up. That's why he says he's faithful and just, and just to forgive you of all of your sins when you confess them, right? He's faithful and just. You don't have to walk in perfection just because you've accepted Jesus. You'll want to walk in perfection, and your, 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 uh, your whole desire within you changes to be more like him. That's, it, it comes from the inside out, though, not the outside in. It's so important to understand that. But if it's a pattern you've been in, yeah, I'm going to keep Jesus at arm's length. I'm going to keep my relationship with him just so far. I, I just want you to equate that with the story, the parable that Jesus told. They were invited, but they were too busy doing other things, things in the world, possessions, relationships. I, I'm busy with this stuff. I, I don't have time for this, so I'm going to hold you right here. I don't hate you, Jesus, but I'm just not going to let you take over. Do you see that in the, in, in the parable? And we do it, and sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. I don't think these Pharisees had a clue that they were doing it on the scale that they were doing it. But church we got to get to a place where we're like, come in, Jesus, none of this stuff matters. And you, you, could, you, could, you know, good hermeneutics, is, and hermeneutics is interpreting the Bible, is using the Bible to interpret itself, right? So you start taking scriptures out like, when, or scriptures, you don't take them out of the Bible, but you start looking at them like Jesus said, unless you hate your, your father, your mother, I mean, you're like, why would he ever say that? I don't want to hate my family. He's making a point. Relationships don't get, to, earthly relationships don't get to trump your relationship with Jesus. You don't get to find your security in him, in, in, in your earthly relationships. You get to find your security in him. Does that make sense? It's not in your possessions. Work all your life. Make all the money you want to make. It's all going to burn. What lasts? Your relationship with him and the people you bring along with him, with you. That's what lasts. I, I got a couple of take-home box verses for you. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him and he with me. I think most everyone here this morning has received his invitation. But have you and are you making preparations for the time that he will say, it's all ready, come on, let's enjoy this feast together. That moment is the moment the trumpet sounds and he calls the dead in Christ first and then we shall follow. It's close, church. 
It's closer than it's ever been. And like I like to say, it's now closer than when I just said that before. And now it's just closer than when I just said that, which I said, every second that goes by, we're just rushing towards this event that will absolutely, absolutely happen. What are we going to be doing? Holding them at arm's length? Well, oh yeah, I see, yeah, you're coming, here's, here's, my, here's my second invitation, but I just ain't really ready. I, I, I got more work to do. I got to buy some more stuff. Preparation is key. It's what we're supposed to do between the time of initial invitation and the time when everything is all prepared and he calls us. And can I just tell you this? The moment that trumpet sounds, there isn't going to be time to like even resist it. You're either ready or you're not. It's going to happen. Oh, let me quick get prepared. Let me grab something quick. Too late. It's easy to get distracted. But church, the hour is late. The time is coming. And even if it's still years off, because nobody knows the day or the hour, even if it's years off, the time is coming. Time is coming. Are you ready for his return? Signs of the times, as I said, say it's close. The things that are happening all over the world are pointing to his, that trumpet blowing at any moment. Are, are you ready? Or, this is my question today, will you be a dinner no-show? I hope you're ready. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.